Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. This episode is brought to you by Before, an incredible new self-care brand that just launched their first products, a line of purifying toothpastes. I'm obsessive about my teeth and brush them usually three times a day, so I'm super excited to be using Before. It ticks off many boxes of what a good toothpaste should be. Their custom supermint flavor actually tastes really good, and the consistency is silky, and at the same time, it doesn't leak out of the tube, which is a total pet peeve of mine. It's also non-abrasive, so it doesn't destroy your tooth enamel. All the harmful ingredients have been replaced by clean alternatives, and their custom blend of fluoride and dentist-approved ingredients totally promotes optimal mouth health. Before also deeply cares about our planet. Their tubes are made from 100% recyclable plant-based sugarcane and creates 50% less carbon footprint than traditional toothpaste tubes. As you all can tell from the show, I'm a huge fan of good, purposeful design, and let me tell you, the design and color palette of these are beautiful. The tube stands upright on your counter and makes your bathroom look minimal and chic. Visit their website, before.com, and enter the code CRAFT10, C-R-A-F-T-1-0, to receive 10% off your entire purchase. One-time use per customer. I'm a huge fan of what they stand for. You won't be sorry, and your teeth and the planet will thank you. As a number of you know, I'm also a certified sound therapy practitioner and founder of Oto Healing, a sound therapy studio and practice. Sound has been a healing modality through many cultures for thousands of years. Oto's approach to sound is rooted in both art and science, the art being the history of sound, the science being quantum physics, biology, brainwave states, and more. All listeners of the show get 15% off their first private one-hour session. Visit otohealing.com to book yours now. Emma Devon is quite simply magical. Welcoming and funny, They have a gift for transmuting your energy into a more peaceful state the moment they give you a hug. The co-founder of Brood, Western Canada's largest doula agency, Emma is trailblazing in the care industry and helping redefine familial structures and what family can mean. They were born in Paris, France, to parents that, as they say, have itchy feet. Before high school, they transferred to 10 different schools and lived in France, the UK, and the East Coast of North America. Eventually, they went to high school in Vancouver, but a week before graduation, their parents moved onto a boat with a plan of sailing the world. Emma took a gap year with them, sailing down the coast of Mexico to Hawaii and more, before coming back to Victoria and going to university. It didn't agree with them, however, and they ended up going to Pacific Rim College instead, becoming a certified doula and caregiver. This time of life wove together all the innate parts of themselves, a deep love and care for and creating and welcoming new families. After this, they worked at a local doula agency, providing birth and postpartum care, before buying the business in 2019 and rebranding it to Brood Care Inc. with co-founders Jillian Damborg and Lizzie Karp, who had formerly been two of their clients. In 2021, first year out of the gates, Emma doubled the team size and the company was profitable. Inspired by LGBTQIA2S families in their community, 
Brood has emerged at the forefront of family caregiving, a tech-enabled learning platform and in-person care service for pregnancy, birth, postpartum care, and new parenthood, with a focus on millennial and Gen Z families. In this conversation, we explore their nomadic childhood, the difference between a doula and midwife, what the concept of family means to them, and how the different systems can look like, how they built their own incredible chosen family, the effects of the pandemic on birth and postpartum care, what emotions they feel when witnessing a baby's arrival in the world, how a yes decision feels in their body, reconciling their life journey through this work, and much more. Please enjoy this exploration of family, business, and life with the warm, wonderful, and singular Emma Devon. Emma Devon, welcome to The Craft. Thank you for having me. How are you feeling? I'm excited. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. You've had an okay week? Yeah. So far? It's been mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Finding the like ever-present teeter-totter. Yes. Mm-hmm. 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 How do you find presence? Mostly my breath. And I'm a really body-focused person. Like, this is something that I talk about a lot in my work and in my partnership. I'm someone who lives in their body so frequently. Mm. So to find presence, I just kind of always go back to that. I go back to breath, and I just kind of try to turn the dial down, slow everything else down, and just be like, wow, that tree looks gorgeous today. Mm. And were you always embodied, or is it something that you had to learn? I think it's both. I really feel like it's kind of a natural leaning and inclination. And I meditated before I even had words for what that was when I was a kid. Like I would picture a river running through me, and then I would try to make it grow and grow and grow and watch the water just flow. And I was talking about it with a therapist friend a few years ago. And she was like, yeah, so you were just doing like somatic meditation as a child. Wow. Yeah. You're an old soul. Maybe in a past life, if you believe in them, you were some Zen monk that knew how to do this. Totally. Or just like an old fisherman who stared at the sea a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's another form of meditation for sure. Totally. Well, since we're talking about childhood, tell me about childhood. Yeah. Childhood for me was, um, I always say that my parents had itchy feet. And so I feel like my childhood really was um, showcased through the light of those itchy feet. And so we were always moving. There was always new adventures. We were going on trips. And I grew up in restaurants. And so that's kind of the other, the other side of the coin. And so we were always around food. We were always around um, service. And like, I can see how my care work comes from that through the lens of, okay, when someone walks through the door, how do we greet them in our space, in our restaurant? You know, how do they have an experience as they sit down and enjoy our food? And that's another thing that's really a massive threat in my life is food. Mm. And the ritual of sitting and eating and sharing and being an experience and being in community together. And so that and dinner parties at home and traveling and moving a lot, like that is really what I think of when I think of my childhood and me and my brother just playing out back behind the restaurant or like, you know, 
sleeping on a foamy in the extra bathroom because we didn't have <laughs> childcare or something. Yeah. yeah. And what kind of restaurants? All what, French. All French. Yeah. Okay. And what were the names? We had Elaine's Bistro, which was a name that they inherited. And they were just kind of like, yeah, we'll go with this. You know, mm-hmm. we, we'll showcase ourselves through who we are. And, and then the restaurant in Vancouver was Bistro Bistro. And peppered throughout those restaurants was um, a lot of like food and, ma- uh, food and beverage management. And so we'd live in hotels or we'd be close to hotels or close to major cities with hotels where my dad would run um, all the food and beverage in these hotels. And so mm. it was our Eloise in the Plaza moment. No kidding. Yeah. And so when you talk about food being a huge Thing for you and having dinner parties are you more of a curator of the people who are there or are you also a chef I I'm definitely more the person who's cooking definitely more the chef in terms of curating who's there I'm just uh like a big like my life and my people in my life are just a big hodgepodge I'm just kind of like yeah we're all here together whoever can just show up however they can show up just be here I'm always down to like add a plate at the table. So it's not this um, constricted curation. I mm. just, I kind of love to like pull that apart and be like, let's just show up. Mm. And I mean, it's ironic too, because I have a hard time being like, okay, the house doesn't look perfect or whatever. But that's something I'm working on and just trying to be like, okay, let's let us allow people to show up how they can. And that includes myself. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely the person who loves to just be cooking with a glass of wine and cooking as people arrive and inviting people oh, to come. I love that. Yeah, cook yeah. with me. It's like an open house. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's so cool. And you moved a lot. You you were in 10 schools before high school, yeah. you know, France, UK, yeah. you know, East Coast of North America, yeah. eventually ending up here. What was it like for you moving around so much? Yeah, I feel like I'm a really adaptable person who – is intrigued by and naturally loves people. Like my partner always tells me that I um, I have a very, um, what's the word? What are they always saying? How I have like a, a spirit who allows for people, like there's a generosity in how I see people. And I feel like that really served me through all of the moving because I just made friends and I was curious about everyone's different lives and I was curious about their families. And again, like I've always been interested in family structures and where's the littlest one in that structure? Okay, let me play with the baby. Um, but yeah, I was, I was really always someone who just made friends and was really interested in the differences of life and all the places we were in and um, played a lot in nature. Mm-hmm. Like I was a kid who was building stick forts and like making mud pies late (laughs) I mean do you still do it (laughs) yeah I'll be as we should yeah oh yeah this whole like mud microbiome stuff I'm like yeah great okay (laughs) you're like I'm into it yeah I was making mud pies last week with Hanky planting a (laughs) rhubarb so I think it's really beautiful that you were able to make friends easily while moving around because I feel like that's not everyone's typical experience if they moved around a lot yeah and I and I can I witness that through my brother you know he is such a 
brilliant mind and um, is also someone who has a harder time adapting to change. And so I, I definitely, I feel like I lived with a mirror of myself in that way through him. And I saw him struggle a lot more than me, which was heartbreaking. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. And I'm curious, where did your interest in family structures come from? Yeah, I think it's always been present for me because with all of the moving and with our little family structure being, you know, the four of us, pretty insular as we moved, we would go back to Europe and France and visit family and see these like large gatherings of people that were my family. And I didn't really know them and I didn't feel connected to them. But as we moved, my parents would build these large group of friends. Again, the dinner parties would happen. We'd see people they were connected to in the restaurants. And I felt connected to those people like family. And so I think I always, like the the foundation of what family was to me has always been something pretty large and expansive. Mm. And I carried that through as I grew. And that definition has morphed and changed as I've as I've grown. Um, but it's always been there. Mm. Let's put a pin in that because I'd love to re-explore that and, uh, down the line. Yeah. But let's keep on moving chronologically. So then ending up in Vancouver and then a week before grad, your parents moved on to a boat. Yeah. And then you joined. Yes. Yes. So this was a number of years now or a gap year. This was, yeah, I would say like a gap year and a half to two. Okay, okay. Yeah. And what did this chapter of your life teach you? This chapter taught me to live in tiny, tiny places that I love seasons, like the seasonal change in weather, in activity, in eating, and how we dress and how we engage with ourselves. I never was really tuned into that before living on the boat and when we lived in the boat we were traveling south and so it was always warm we were in Mexico for a really long amount of time and with that we didn't experience seasonal changes and so coming back to Victoria after the boat I realized oh my gosh I love the like rhythm that matches my internal rhythm of seasons and change and rest and motivation and hyper focus and how that all looked and so that was that was one of the big things that I think about Mm, I was just gonna say as you were saying that you like seasons Mm -hmm. cyclical you were talking about how you're really adaptable and how you used to picture that river running through you it just sounds like there's a flow to how you witness and live life that seems maybe like a pillar a hundred percent Mm. And I think that, again, this is something that I bring in my birth work and my care work. And it's this, I try to as hard as I can, but sometimes after many, 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 many hours and days, it's hard. But this piece of just like, okay, we're going to stay here. We're going to be in this moment. We're going to surrender. And we're just going to deal with what's in front of us. And we're going to hold space for it. And we're going to tend to it and nourish it how we can. Mm. But sometimes after six and a half days, you're like, okay. (laughs) Let's get this Yeah, like, out. you're like, let's kickstart this thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, and so then you found dueling in Victoria. So yeah. after that year and a half, come back here somewhere that has seasons. Exactly. And so tell me about this journey into finding dueling. Yeah. And why? Why this? Yeah. I was in Victoria and 
previous to being on the boat, I had kind of made the decision, okay, I need to plant my own roots. I'm going to go, you know, be on the boat and um, experience what this chapter will be like. But I had set up for myself to go to UVic, being in Victoria. I was kind of like, okay, the island feels really good. I had visited a few times before, and it just brought me this sense of calm. And there was a likeness to the boat where I felt like I could really um, bear witness to the weather. I was kind of like, okay, we're really affected and influenced by the weather. I'm someone who loves a lot of wind on their face and around them. And so I kind of went, okay, I'm going to go to UVic. This is what I'm going to do. I love kids. I love art. I love creativity. I found safe havens and art teacher rooms throughout those 10 schools I went to. And so I went, you know what? I would love to be that for kids. And so I went, okay, great. I'm going to go. I'm going to take some art education. I'm going to go be an art teacher. I lasted a semester (laughs) at UVic and went, oh, yeah, post-secondary academic institutions, not for me. I do not fit into this puzzle well at all. And while I was going to UVic, I lived downtown in Victoria on Herald Street at this awesome apartment complex that we called The Castle. And there's the public square just around the corner, two blocks down. And I walked around it one day and I saw this poster they had on the outside that they still have of this pregnant person in a field. And it was like, join our doula cohort. And I went, what's a doula? And so I just kind of went home and I Googled it. And then I'm looking at this program. I'm looking at all of the courses And I'm going, oh my gosh, this is what I've done and been inclined to do my whole life on top of all of the things that I want to do as hobbies. And it's a job. And coming from the family of entrepreneurs, I did. I went, okay, great. So now next time I go visit my parents on the boat in Panama, I'm going to bring them a business plan, a proposal. And I did just that. And I was kind of like, okay, I'm going to quit university and... I'm going to run my own business and I'm going to be a doula. And it's this weird thing where I go to people's births and I take care of them. And then I'm there postpartum ushering them into parenthood. And I just kind of dove in. I never look back. Hmm. For those listeners who may not know what a doula is or needs to know, you know, doula versus midwife, what's the distinction? Mm -hmm. The doula versus midwife question is what I get constantly because it's really common to see these, um, you know, holistic careers and confuse the two. And so I use this analogy a lot that's really helpful, and it's of a lifeguard versus a swimming coach. And so a midwife is like the lifeguard. They're, you know, high above. They're looking at life or death. They're really stuck in paperwork in D.C. And they have a really large client load. And so they're usually communicating with other midwives um, about many other patients at births or they're in the hospital taking care of multiple people giving birth. Whereas a doula is like the swim coach. We are your one-on-one person. We are here for you the entire journey from the time you hire us until your postpartum, until you've had your baby in your arms for a bit now. And we're there for the whole entire time. So we're here to provide that, you know, obvious additional education, additional knowledge, that one-to-one support, that companionship. As again, like I said, as we usher you from being someone who didn't have kids to being a parent, which is a huge transition. And it's something that, you know, takes a lot of 
mindfulness and education and time and midwives can't provide that a lot of the time because they're doing you know the really crucial work of bringing in many babies into this world and making sure that everyone's okay medically um, and so midwives kind of um, really focus on that and doulas can help fill in the gaps mm, like that that emotional support yeah like that, that absolute like care yeah the care mm. work and the work mm-hmm. that you know historically communities did and now that we're living in like these more siloed experiences more individualistic um, family models doulas really help to be that community that has been taken away from everyone mm. What has being a doula taught you most about? Hmm. I feel this like is, I could write a book about this. Yes, I was going to say, <laughs> taught you about yourself, but also about others. Mm-hmm. It's taught me about how people know what's best for themselves. They really do. They know what's best for themselves, and they know what's best for their baby and their families. And I'm not here to teach them what's best. I'm here to build their confidence so they can listen to themselves and listen to their baby and trust themselves. And so I'm really here to just like cheerlead and lift people up and nurture them because they know how to do that themselves. Mm. And sometimes it's a process of just supporting that or peeling back the layers to show someone that they know that. Mm. That's really, really powerful, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have so many thoughts. I'm just thinking about, you know, you were talking about, you know, helping parents usher them into a new chapter in their life. And I was thinking about the rise of death doulas, and that's a different kind of ushering into another chapter. And I'm also thinking about cultures that have ceremony to invite a man or a girl into their next chapter. I'm like, oh, you know, we really have lost the beauty in ushering in yeah. a new phase of your life, but with grace and reverence. The reverence piece is huge. And I mean, the the grace, grace is something we talk about a lot because, and recently this month in January, we were talking about surrender a lot. After the holidays, surrendering. And one of my co-founders, Jill Danboard, was kind of like, I know I'm supposed to surrender, but like how? <laughs> and this is something we see a lot in birth and postpartum and life. Hello. And I was kind of like, you know, this is something I've been thinking about. Grace and surrender can look like kicking and thrashing and chaos, but it's the act of doing. And sometimes it looks as still as a lake, and sometimes it's like this raging storm. And that's my place as a care worker is to hold space for all of those. Like those are all the right option because that's where you're at right now. And so I just, it's just right back down to that surrender, mindfulness, pause. Mm-hmm. That I always just go back to. Mm. And yeah, and, and the point of, of, you know, recognizing that, yeah, grace doesn't always have to look so serene like yes. a swan. Yes. <laughs> It could be the feet of the swan that's like yeah. kicking and be totally. like, I just got to survive. I yeah. just got to keep floating and swimming. Because people are so intimidated by that. Because it, it, like I know for so many people, including myself, I'm like, oh, fuck, I have to, I have to be, like I have to constrict myself. I have to be graceful. 
everyone know? I'm like, you are graceful. You don't have to be graceful. Yeah, like keeping the appearance of keeping it together is, you know, you don't have to do that. It reminds me a lot about in my own work with sound therapy, I have this question in my intake form Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's kind of a dual question. It's what what emotion do you express most Mm. and what do you express least? Mm. And 90% of the time, most people will answer they express least anger. And I find that so fascinating because we all get angry, but we've also been taught don't show your anger. Yeah. But there are healthy ways to do that. And actually, like, you, we should be angry at certain it things. It needs to and, come out. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it does need to come out. Yeah. However, it could be, you could be, like, raging. You could be screaming in your car. It just needs to, like, be out there. But it's not wrong. And that's And that's why people, and that's, I think, so often what we're doing is we're kind of putting these things into binaries of good and bad. Okay, well, okay, May's asking me this question. I Obviously, I feel angerless. Like, that's the good thing to put in that box. I don't want to be angry. Like, anger is bad. But I think it's powerful. I think it can be harnessed. And I love that. That's something I do. Blast music so loud in your car. Go for a drive. Scream at the ocean. Like, that is power. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a time and a place for it, of course. But it's so important to express and move through you again because it will stay in your body. Mm-hmm. I was going to say there's an embodiment piece too and uh, embodiment not in a healthy way. If it's trapped in there. Totally. It it does. It does lead to stress and it does lead to physical manifestations and, totally. and illnesses that you just don't – you do not want those things. No. Mm. Think about the amount of times you've been raging but you don't let it out and you have a horrific headache. Right. That's energy stuck. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, let's go back to how Brood started. Yeah. So you had a wonderful mentor that you were working with for a while. Yeah, I had three. Three? Oh, yes, three and all M's, if I remember. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I had three mentors, uh, one being Michelle McLean of Divine Child Doula, one being Morag Hastings of Apple Blossom Families, and then the third being Marlo Musket of Bunky Bambino. And Michelle is my, like, incredible elder, queer, doula, care worker, grassroots, amazingness mentor who's just like, this is your foundation. She taught me at Pacific Rim, which was the doula school I went to in Victoria. And she kind of set this radical foundation of what doula work could be and the history of doula work and has really been a touchstone for me through many of my really, really hard moments in my career, like my longest birth, my first stillbirth, um, you know, how to recover from really tricky interpersonal client relationships. Like she's my rock. And, you know, the fact that she's queer and has done like incredible work for trans families in Vancouver has been like lights my soul on fire. And then Morag was the person that I did my first ever birth with, thanks to her. I think she'd messed up her shoulder. And our bodies are so crucial in birth work because we do so many hands-on maneuvers. And so she couldn't do hip squeezes. She couldn't do much of anything. And she was kind of like, okay, great. I can provide a lot of the emotional, mental, knowledge-based support here. But I need this, like, 
young thing to come in and do hip squeezes forever, which was great because my first birth was six and a half days long. Wow. (laughs) And so it was really helpful for me to come in there and stay with this pregnant person and do hip squeezes and, you know, take care of her around the clock for six and a half days. And so Morag really got me into um, the Vancouver doula scene in that way. And then Marlo was someone who, to this day, I still don't really know how she found me. But she found me and took me out to a coffee shop and interviewed me and was kind of like, okay, I want to start this postpartum doula team. I want to do this thing. Um, What do you think about being one of the first people that I hire? And I just thought, yes, 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 yes. I've been such a, like, huge yes person in my career. Whether or not it's warranted or wise, (laughs) I still did it. And so she hired me as the first person on our team, and I helped her kind of grow it into um, what it became. And now looking back and having laughed with her about it, she had this, like, master plan the whole time and executed it to perfection, which was to then hire me as her birth doula business partner. So we took families on together and she saw me take care of people through their births. And so she really got to see me grow and see all aspects of my care work. And then at one point she went, okay, great. So now I want to retire. Mm. I would like to sell you my business. What do you think? I think we all know what my answer was. I went, oh yeah, of course. Slap a price tag on it. Let's do this thing. (laughs) And I bought her business and had this agency and did a big rebrand, DIY, all myself, me and Canva. <laughs> Love Canva. Thank you. Canva out. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of pivoted a little bit of what our, you know, really core values were. I grew the team by double, grew our revenue by double, and then this um, little kink in the plans came in, which was the global pandemic, which stranded families without care in their most vulnerable moments and stranded care workers as they were trying to provide this care. And as we, um, as care workers, doulas are not um, regulated or They don't have a governing body at all. And so we didn't, we had no compass in terms of are we allowed into hospitals? Are we not? How do we do this? How do we navigate this? There was no health authority sharing any information with us. So we had these like monthly, I mean, weekly meetings, all of us talking, okay, who was in the hospital this week? What was going on? Who was in this hospital this week? Okay, great. And we were just gathering all this information to take care of families and, um, that's when the seedling of brood was planted in the pandemic. Yes. So Lizzie and Jill, who are your co-founders of brood, Mm -hmm. they were actually, you were their doula. I was. Yeah. And so I have um, my big patchwork wonky family structure. And within that, I've got Amelia who has two twins and Chris. And they were really close with Jill who's my co-founder. And so when Joe was pregnant and then put on bed rest in the pandemic, early 2020, I immediately was contacted, like put in touch with her 
we, you know, did a lot of prenatal support for her C-section because she had the big three. She had fibroids, placenta previa, which is when your placenta covers your cervical opening, and Sunny, her baby was breech. So it was the kind of thing where it was like, there's actually no safe option for you to give birth um, vaginally. And so we planned a lot with the C-section, talked it through a lot. And then I was actually in the very hospital the day she gave birth, supporting another family who had a little baby called Woods. And I was like giving hip squeeze in the bath and something in me was like, just go to the door right now. Just go to the door and like fill up your water bottle or something. And I opened the door and there was Jill and her partner, Brad, walking down the hall to go into their C-section. No way. Yeah. And I just stuck my hand out and I was like, yes, get it. <laughs> go have your baby. And then I supported her all through her postpartum with, you know, all of the trials and tribulations and joys. But it was really intense because it was like that first month of lockdown where we knew nothing. No one was in their house. I was the only one there. We were just like drinking Negronis, using a supplemental nursing system to feed Sunny. Just like, what is happening out there? Mm. And she was meeting, like Sunny was meeting all of his relatives, like on the stoop out front. It was really. With masks on. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Like really far apart. We just had no idea. It was really scary. And so I was, I was the one person in the house with them just kind of like holding together this little family unit. Mm. That would be very, very frightening for yeah. a new mother to to have to be so ap apart from family and the support system uh, yeah. at this this you know point yeah. in your life. Yeah, yeah. And so lucky to have you there. I was I was so as much as possible. Oh know? my gosh, I was so grateful to be there. And it's really interesting because it was it was kind of this this coin for families where some families were like, okay, great. The pandemic set boundaries for us that we didn't have to set. And so there was no one to disturb this kind of cocooning and understanding of everyone's routines. And, and again, that building of trust and the building of confidence was just happening because they were all just hanging out in a bed together, staring at this baby, really getting to know each other. And so for some people, that was really helpful to build a really strong foundation. We saw nursing rates skyrocket because people weren't out in the world which is kind of interesting. But then the other side of that coin is like intense isolation and um, communities having to gather in these really different ways and it looking really differently. And Joe was just like, okay, well, I've got fresh bread at my door every day. People are dropping off their sourdough loaves to this new family <laughs> and this new parent. <laughs> but she was like, but no one's inside to hold my hand and like, walk me through this fire essentially like this you know this this threshold and transition into new parenthood but you know we had lots of treats <laughs> treats so that was good solve some things <laughs> they solve some things they're what we call available joy there was a lot of that <laughs> oh I like that available joy oh yeah. I'm curious to know when it comes to the care of um, mothers who are expecting and, mm -hmm. you know, the, the aftercare, like the postpartum, mm -hmm. um, what do you feel needs improvement in our current healthcare system? Yeah, a lot. I think what I, when I'm always thinking about this, I'm always thinking about the two people that it's impacting. It's impacting the people providing the care, like their workloads are so full and they have to be full 
to meet quotas and to get paid because it's so hard to exist um, in this world right now. So expensive in the city too in Vancouver. And families, like families need care providers who have time for them. They need care providers that can slow down and really look at them as a whole person. But our systems are really shattered and fragmented right now. And so that's virtually impossible. And so that's why, you know, I'm a huge advocate, obviously, of what I do and wanting doulas everywhere and wanting them to be even more accessible than they are because they're not right now. I want them everywhere because they can help fill those gaps. They can give that, okay, yes, your care provider said X, you know, as a problem for a solution or as something to put on the radar. But let's stop. Let's take a breath. What are all of these other things that we need to consider? You know, and what are these other alternatives that we might be able to present for ourselves? And it puts so much work and onus on the person to do that. And a lot of people aren't resourced to do that. And, And it's really, really it's really heartbreaking to see how these systems are failing us. And so the onus is on the person to give themselves better care and to get better care out of their care provider, to put that hand out, you know, to extend that hand to their care provider to be like, okay, I need you to take care of me like this. It's That is so much work. Mm-hmm. And many care providers can't even accept that extended hand. Um, and so I think that that's my wish. It's kind of twofold of that care providers could – be compensated more to have more slowness and a more of a holistic lens in their practice and that families could be taken care of in that way. And so that the onus was taken off them a bit more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And especially in such a pressurized yeah. time for them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and brood is very like tech forward. And so yeah. there's a lot of education and resources that you guys have too for all. Oh, yeah. We are just... Seems very important to you guys. It's so important. And we did our really big sprint last spring when we were kind of writing and creating and producing these five courses that we've put out. So our really big sprint was last spring when we put out these five courses. And then now we've just kind of been like, okay, how do we put as much accessible free content out there? And we're getting really fast at it. We had an idea last week to put out a weaning guide because no one talks about weaning. So weaning meaning um, stopping the process of your body lactating. And so whether that your body's lactating and you're taking the milk out by pumping or whether you're lactating and you're taking the milk out by nursing your baby on your body or a combo of both. No one talks about that process of stopping that. It's just like, oh, one day you're nursing and the next day you're not. No, there's a lot in between and weaning can be like incredibly destabilizing because every time you're feeding your baby, whether it's with a pump or with their body, you're getting these oxytocin rushes, huge rushes of hormones flooding your body, which are like awesome feel-good hormones. And so all of a sudden you stop doing that, it's really destabilizing. And so we're putting together, we were kind of like, okay, there's no information for this. People have a really hard time with weaning. And there's a, like a list of reasons that people would wean. We don't even talk about what those reasons are. We don't even talk about um, how someone experiencing you know loss, whether that's a miscarriage, a stillbirth, an abortion, you might be lactating. Like you might experience this loss and then lactate. And now what? Mm-hmm. And people don't know what to do with that. 
And so we were kind of like, okay, let's make this resource. And I wrote it, put it out. Jill's designing it. We're all editing it, but we should have it out like in the next week or so. And it's so awesome to be like, okay, there's a need for this resource. I think we can just make it. Let's put it out there as a free resource. And so, yeah, we're just pumping out all of these free resources as fast as we can. Yeah, I which that's that's great because I'm sure all kinds of parents need that. Um, but I'm just thinking about what you were saying about weaning. There's obviously all those things that you talked about, but there's yeah. also that um, the emotions that are tied, tied oh, yeah. to weaning and the connection you feel with your baby. And then yeah. all of a sudden you're, you're separating that physical yeah. closeness and that also that it's a ritual, right? Absolutely. And a moment. Absolutely. And it's a soothing mechanism, right? And so it's, it's for so many people, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm feeding my baby because it's a soothing. It like regulates both of our nervous system. It gives us a pause in parenting. And losing that is really, really, really hard. And it is one of the final stages of your child being their full autonomous person. You know, because we start with pregnancy and this baby is in your body and it's like your special time and your special moment. And then the baby comes out of your body and you're like, okay, shit, I have to share this baby with other people now. And again, this is only some people's experience. Some people are like, yes, please share this workload with me. <laughs> but some are like, oh, wow, this this special moment where it's just the two of us is now, you know, separate. And that is kind of a larger version of what happens in weaning. It's like, oh, this was our special, yeah, our special ritual, our daily ritual together to take a pause, be mindful, reset our nervous systems a little bit, and it's gone. And a lot of parents feel a big loss at that. Mm. These are just the things really like no one ever stops to think of, like totally. all of these little tiny nuances of um, – yeah, being a parent. I'm not a parent, but, uh, but I mean, I couldn't imagine there's just so much to consider. Yeah, the human experience is so layered. And to be like, oh, I'm here because someone probably had to navigate all of these decisions. It's really, it's, that's another thing about dueling is I'm kind of like, oh, wow, it's a constant mindfuck of being like, oh, right, I'm here in spite of all of these challenges. Oh my God. It's kind of incredible. It's like shocking. Even, even the percentage that it takes for you to even come into this world oh, yeah. is some insane number. I can't I, I can't remember what it is, but um, I remember hearing it and, and suddenly having a reverence for oh, absolutely. life. Yeah, and I think that that's something a lot of my clients find is they're kind of like, oh, you spend your whole life for people who, you know, when you have sex, you can make a baby you spend your whole life avoiding pregnancy. And then when you want to be pregnant, you're kind of like, oh, this is actually a lot harder than I thought it would be. And then, I mean, if you're queer and trans and you're trying to get pregnant, there's a whole other layer there of like, oh yeah, this could be even more challenging. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is a perfect segue into my next question, which is, is you know, we were talking about the layered human experience, but... There's even more layers now just in terms of what family even looks like yeah. and, and means. And I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. Family for me is it's complicated and it's joyful and it's a choice. And I have a lot of 
people in my life that bit like are this giant support circle and these people that are in my family that are a part of my day-to-day life where we're reaching out we're like again sharing in this weird messy human experience and a great deal of them aren't my family of origin they're not my fairy family of blood and it's really interesting and it's so much work to engage with alternative family structures and it's so much work to engage with what that looks like day to day what what does that look like when holidays come around like what does that look like when birthdays come around or family day or the holidays or you know what does that look like in crisis like those and then also what does it look like in the day to day when I just really need someone else to cook me dinner or I I really need you know to go talk something through with someone or I want to feel a sense of reciprocity and that is kind of the joyful muck that I feel like I'm Joyful at times. It is also so hard. But the joyful muck that I'm kind of wading through as I create this family system for myself. I feel that really, really deeply because I have a really large chosen family. Yeah. And gosh, they they um, they see me and they're there for me, sometimes in ways that my family of origin just can't be, just yeah. because of who they are and how they move through the world. That's okay. Yeah. That's who they are. Um, and I really love how the term and the concept of chosen family has really become um, more recently um, a part of contemporary vernacular. Yeah. And it's it's really beautiful that we can exist this way and there's nothing wrong with it and there needs to be no guilt if you have a chosen family. Totally. And I think that for me, with all of the like queer and trans histories that live within me and within the world, when we look at those people, I'm kind of like, wow, you guys were doing it. And it's so joyful for me at Brood to be able to share what that looks like for me and how I can do it and how others can do it and how that's part of, you know, finding a smidge of balance in life and a smidge of, you know, um, ease and connection and mindfulness like I wouldn't be able to do that without all of the people beside me holding me up to do that and I know that again all those queer and trans elders in my life and histories did this like they paved that road for me and they were the ones who were like oh yeah it's okay if your family can't do that and now what how do we rebuild this and also understanding, again, pulling out this mononormative culture, going, okay, yeah, one family or one partner or one person can't just be everything. Like, that's impossible. That's so much to put on one person or one structure. And so how do we kind of pull that apart and look at how all of these different people hold value and hold a place in your life that no one else can. And that's what makes the like rich tapestry of having a supported community is having that large number of people that are those mirrors and are those supports for all of you. Like I look at all of the people in my life, in my life and I'm like, oh yeah, 
you're here for this. You're here for this. Thank you so much. And I'm here for you in the ways that I show up, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Going back to it takes a village. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we all should have our own little villages. Totally. Yeah. yeah. But it's really, it's really hard. And again, mm-hmm. it's so intimidating for people to build it. The amount of people that I go into their homes as a postpartum doula and they're like, oh yeah, this is how it should be. Like, I don't want to do this alone. And that's a thought and a feeling and a desire. And yet they're kind of like, okay, well, I don't actually know how to execute that. Or I have no representation of that. Or I don't understand. Or I'm scared or whatever. And so it's also really normal to feel all of those things. I feel them Mm -hmm. constantly. You know, even supporting people and building their own families. And and I think that that's another part of the normal layer of kind of like, okay, yeah, it's – it's really complex to do this and it's really worth it and there's a really strong desire that people want to get back to this but it's really hard because we've got a lot of you know those big systems totally yeah <laughs> bogging yeah. us down a little oh yeah no I just I really felt it when you said oh well, I don't have a representation of that yeah and yeah and then this is just speaking from you know looking back at my own experiences right and yeah being like oh my god I didn't have a rep- representation of what it could be like for me to do xyz yeah now more so or you have to create it for yourself you have to create it for yourself and then it's i mean look at us like we have each of our own projects we get to showcase like you're constantly showcasing and opening the lens of representation through your work and our hope is to do that at Brood as well, is to show, okay, here's what all of the kinds of family can look like, and they're all good, and you can find your own. Like, you got this. Mm. We've got your back. We'll help you be, like, we'll be a part of that for you. And here's how to build this for yourself in a sustainable, you know, long-lasting way. Mm. You guys are going worldwide with Brood. Hey, that's the hope. I feel it. I feel it coming, <laughs> which is going to be so important to be part of that that movement. Yeah. That's really incredible work. Yeah, I'm excited to to watch this continue to unfold. Thanks, May. I yeah, I'm huge champion of all you guys. <laughs> I um I'm wondering when you start working with a family, yeah. What do you feel in your process is the most important initial question to ask them? mm mm-hmm. Mhm. I will say I'm now spoiled rotten and I get to pretty much only work with families who I have previous relationships with, which is so juicy and delightful. It's just like, oh, yeah, bring me back in when there's a new member joining. This is amazing. You know, I was at a birth last week and I was like, oh, we're just all having a party because I love these midwives. I love this family. I love everyone here. And this person's birth plan was just to have their friends there and have fun. And then nailed it. It was the best. But when I was taking clients on before that were strangers to start with, um, I would always kind of start the process by being there in person, face to face. And I was kind of like, okay, let's get to know each other. Like we're dating. Choosing a doula and building a relationship with a doula is like dating because we're going to be there with you through this incredibly vulnerable time that has a lot of acute care needs and is a transformational experience through all of the things that will happen, through all of the emotions, through all of the logistical things. It's going to be transformational. Like You're going to be a different person on the other side. And so I want you to really know me and I want to really know you. And so I really just want to make them super comfortable and 
we just kind of hang out and we shoot the shit for a little bit. And I show them, you know, like I peel back the layers. I show them who I am, like underneath, you know, professional professionalism. And I really love to get to know them by knowing, okay, similar to what we're doing today, like what brings you joy? And I love to be in their home to kind of see how they curate their spaces. And I love to know the stories and especially this is through the birth work lens. I'm like, okay, what stories have you heard about birth? Like who around you is talking about birth? All partners, even the dads out there. I'm like, what are you hearing at work about birth? Like what's around the water cooler, you know? And what are the stories of your family? And what are like anything they're willing to share with me that they think will help broaden my understanding of them? And them in the birth world is something I'll take. And I really usually just leave it wide open and we just talk through it. And I just love to kind of excavate and get to know them because all of that tends to come up in birth and tends to come up in postpartum. And so it's super helpful for me when I have that information that I can kind of pull from. Mm. What brings you joy? It's a mm. question you ask them, but what brings you joy? I mean, the the thing that comes back to it always for me is the ocean. Like, it's that fresh air, the ocean, like being near the water in whatever way. Just, oh my gosh. It, it calms me and soothes me and mm. brings me massive joy. I am with you. I actually, <laughs> and I know I've spoken about this on the pod before, but I do have a ritual where every week, I go to Arcadia Beach, which is close to UBC, mm -hmm. and I go for like a 20-minute walk and hang by the ocean. Yes. And then, yeah, before I leave, I touch the water. It's just like a, a reverence and a thank you oh, yeah. to the ocean and Mother Nature and maybe even just to feel the flow of, of water. I've been yeah. learning a lot about water and the structure of water and um, how we are actually surrounded by chaotic water like the water that we drink mm -hmm. and and the molecular structure of the water that we are drinking right now is not conducive to health in our bodies Whoa. it's really yeah I'll send you a great pod on that but yes. my friend Zach Berman from the juice truck and a little bit a little more good podcast mm -hmm. he's really gotten me on this oh. but yeah water is powerful and we we don't pay enough reverence totally to water I feel like I'm drawn to it like a magnet like in the summer if you get me near water and this has been the case since I like literally was a tiny child my mom would be like okay so you can go put your feet in and then she'd literally turn around and turn back and I was completely naked just like laying <laughs> in it and it's the same now like I will not have sought out to go swimming but I'll be like yeah let's go for a walk by the water and then there'll be like a little outcrop of rocks and I'm like I'm just gonna go touch it and then I'm mm. like okay I'm just gonna go put my feet in it and then it's like, okay, well, now I'm just going skinny dipping off a random <laughs> rock because I couldn't not. I'm like, okay, we get it. It, it calls to you. It's it so calls strong. To you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I just have a few more questions. And, and actually, the, the, some of the final questions are, are really about embodiment. Mm -hmm. um, when a baby comes into the world and you're, you're witnessing that, what emotions course through you? So... There's always one moment that just gets me every time and I well up and I'm like, oh, oh God. Other than the like, what the fuck? This is incredible. Like a human came out of a human. Like that actually never gets old or it hasn't for me. 
But the moment where I'm always kind of like, oh my gosh, this is this is it. This is what I live for. It's the moment where the baby is born, comes to the parent's chest, whether that's a vaginal birth, C-section birth, highly medicalized, like in the bathroom where everyone like, oops, didn't get there in time. Doesn't matter. Where the baby comes to the chest and the parents come close and they just look at this baby and they look at each other and they're just like, oh my God. Like everything that it took for us to get to this moment, we're here right now. And I just, even talking about it, I'm like, oh, it's just so incredible. You're like, oh wow, this is, this is like the moment where the family is formed in a new way. Mm. And it's so powerful. It's like that connection is, it runs so deep. And just mm. seeing all of them looking at each other and their faces in close. Oh my God. Just like a moment of, wow, mm-hmm. we made this. We made this. I'm like, we we got here. Like we did it. Mm. We're on the other side of, you know, whatever the decision and conception or not decision or whatever and then pregnancy and birth, like they're all such massive human experiences. And to be like, oh my God, we're here. Like this is a new chapter. Mm. It's like that pause before then. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Just like a slight, yeah, a little yeah. pause before yeah. that happens. Totally. Oh, well, you know, listening to your story, and I know you mentioned this earlier, you've mentioned this in in some of our pre-chats, but you know, you followed your your yes a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to know what a yes feels like in your body. Hmm. It depends. I feel like yeses are not necessarily what's right. And they're not necessarily what I think I should do. But... A yes is like a tingle in my gut. It's like a solidness in my legs. It's like, okay, I'm just going to do this and commit to like quarterbacking my way through this decision. And I am committed often and will do weird stuff, you know, just to like, you know, saying yes throughout my career, saying yes throughout, um, many many decisions and through meeting people and being like oh you're you're one of my people and early in my partnership I met Lizzie and my partner and I met Lizzie and I instantly was like Lizzie is one of my co-founders Lizzie Carp I met her and I was like oh yeah you're it you're one of my people like I just knew it was a full body yes and I went home that night to have a harvest dinner where Jill was present with Sunny and where Amelia and Chris and the twins and my partner were there and we had a toast and I was just crying. I was so overcome by this. Yes. I was just like, oh my God. Yeah. Okay. This person's here. I'm so excited. I met her. This is beautiful. My partner was just like confounded by it. Was like, how, how are you doing this? Like, how are you just diving all in? Like, what if? And I was just like, I don't know. I can't explain it. I just know. And then we like, had a baby together that was her literal baby Hank and then that was our business baby brood which is hilarious looking back now but yeah it's just like this full body resonance of like it might not make sense but Mm. I just know it yeah I gotta go I gotta do it Mm. 
Yeah, sometimes sometimes you just have to go with it, mm-hmm. whether whether or not you know what the outcome is going to be, because you don't. Oh, actually. I never know. You never know. Yeah. Well, none of us do. Like, we actually don't know, <laughs> but also I never know. <laughs> like, I'm not popping, like, purpose, outcome, yeah. process. I'm not popping many of my yeses, unfortunately, for the people in my life, um, but I'm doing them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. And that's, that's such a courageous and, and brave thing to do, because, mm-hmm. you know, not everyone will say yes mm-hmm. to the unknown, right? So it's a smidge dumb too. But <laughs> it's worked out good so far. <laughs> uh, when when you think of your line of work and choosing your line of work, has this been a really um, powerful healing and reconciliation journey for you too? Absolutely, yeah. It's been like as I've doulaed other people. Which is totally a made up word. As I've doulaed and cared for other people, it's allowed me to learn how to care for myself. And as I've given people permission, as I've surrendered with them, I've slowly been able to do that more with myself and a lot more in recent years. Again, with the help of my community being like, remember what you tell other people? Maybe try it out. We're right here. We love you. Try it out, <laughs> which is excruciating. But um, that's absolutely been a part of the process mm. for me. Hmm. I have one extra question that uh, just came to mind. But um, for your chosen family, mm-hmm. you know, the people who have been around you to support you, help you reparent, mm-hmm. what do you want them to know? Oh, God, that I'm so grateful for them. I think they just fill me with awe and joy. And I just feel... I just feel so thankful that they're also along on this journey with me to just kind of be like, they're saying yes to going, okay, yeah, there's no formula for what family means with us having you here. There's no representation of that, you know? And with a lot of the queer people in my life, it's like, yeah, 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 we know what this weird, like, hodgepodge family thing is. But with a lot of the, um, like, more het presenting and het people in my life I'm like you guys are taking a chance on letting this weird queerdo into your life and like to love your children and to be there for you and you really didn't have representation and so I think I'm just really grateful I'm grateful that they're like taking this leap with me and letting me kind of letting us all like flounder and surrender and do the chaos together like I just I'm like thank you this is what being human is like together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my final question that I ask everyone, with what you do, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world? I want to leave behind access, like access to this care, access to this knowledge, access to this representation, and more ease with that because I can see how it's changed my life. I can see how it's positively impacting families that I've cared for. I can see how brood even just existing has been so joyful for lots of families and especially queer and trans ones in our community. And so I think it's more of that. Mm. I hope to leave that access alive without me. I love that. 
thank you so much for who you are. Thanks for having me. And your energy and for being here and for the access that you're giving people through telling your story. Yeah. And if people wanted to find you, connect with you, connect Mm -hmm. with Brood, where can they go? So they can go on Instagram and all the things to Brood Care, B-R-O-O-D, Care. And you can always shoot us an email. I'm always saying my inbox is always open. And that's hello at broodcare.com. Thank you. So much love to you. So So much. much. As always, thank you for being here and for listening. To learn more about today's guest, visit the episode page for show notes and links on wearethecraft.com. You can find the entire podcast archive here or explore more conversations with past guests on Spotify and Apple. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on these platforms, including YouTube, to get notified when new episodes drop. Any likes and shares on social media are deeply appreciated too. Sound and audio engineering for the show are by Andrew and Jaba Gaspis. All guest portraits and images are by Juno Kim. Appreciate you all and see you again soon.